0: Good to see you all here. Today, I have a question for you as we begin. Are you listening? Are you ready? ready? Who would like to unlock happiness every day of your life? Right. I know it feels all of a sudden like an Amway meeting or something. <laughs> Sorry about that. I do want to offer you the secret to finding that happiness, and more. Strength, peace. Wisdom, direction in life. Can anyone give me an amen on that? It's a key that'll open a door to inner satisfaction and avoid emptiness and give you meaning. Would you like that? (laughs) The key is in a question that you can ask every time you open your Bible. And the question is this. What does this tell me about who Jesus is? What does this tell me about who Jesus is? Now hold on to that key as we study through our gospel study here in Mark. This morning you can open up your Bibles or swipe open your phones and whatnot. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record the miracles of Jesus, but there are only two miracles that you will find in all four gospels. The resurrection of Jesus and the feeding of the 5,000 and this account is so significant that not only is it in every gospel but jesus refers back to it as a teaching point multiple times you probably learned this story in sunday school even if you didn't go to church you probably heard about that right you know it's about a hungry crowd a little boy with a lunch it's kind of cute in that respect And how Jesus uses something so small to accomplish something so big. And it's unique among miracles because while we can appreciate someone with leprosy being healed, and we can thrill that a paralytic walked again, we can actually relate to being in a hungry crowd, right? (laughs) Or having our only very little, like a small lunch, to offer. Do you still have that key? And keep it with you. Get those Bibles open. Mark chapter 6 verse 30, Mark 6:30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Mark 6:30. right? This is the first time the disciples are called apostles. We've all come home from a vacation, any of us, or even just a great game. angel game, maybe not so much, if it's, it's not late. OK? maybe a really great concert you went to and we can't wait to tell something about everything that we experienced right you're so excited to get home and tell people then you can probably imagine what an amazing report this was after two years of just following and just witnessing his miracles the 12 are back and they were actually performing the miracles Jesus had given them authority so they could multiply his ministry among the people and distribute miracles in his name People from all over are now hearing about Jesus and the Twelve. In fact, the news makes it from the most obscure villages like Jesus' own hometown, Nazareth, all the way to the powerful court of King Herod. And Nazareth rejects Jesus, and Herod is freaked out about hearing about the preaching and the healing and the demon casting of Jesus and the Twelve. It sounds like a new band, you know, Jesus and the Twelve, right? But why would Herod be freaked out? Well, because Herod had thrown himself this orgy of a birthday party. And after his stepdaughter impressed him with this big dance, he offers to give her anything she wants. And she requests not gold, not jewels, not property, but the head of John the Baptist, her mother's nemesis, on a platter. Herod has him beheaded and presented in front of all these guests. Nice party, right? i'd rather have a charcuterie board thank you (laughs) and with the popularity of jesus and the 12 herod thinks it must be john back from the dead to haunt him this guy's really messed up and you can imagine how eager then the disciples are to recount all the details of their mission but this cloud of heaviness is over them in light of the news about herod killing jesus cousin you can imagine the disciples adding up the risk to themselves could they end up in prison or worse On a platter? Jesus' own family and childhood friends have mocked and rejected him. What will happen to him? What will happen to them? As they gather to debrief and grab this meal with Jesus, their time together is interrupted. Mark 6.31 So many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat. But maybe this is their moment maybe this is their moment to show jesus what they can do i mean they had been off in pairs without jesus across the country and they were preaching and they were healing and they were casting out demons consider this the disciples had watched Jesus preach, heal, and cast out demons, and he had given them the authority to do all that, and they did. So this could be a great moment. They see the crowd. They can all team back up. The band is back together again, and they can do all of this together, kind of maybe impress Jesus a little of what they could do, right? I mean, a meal can wait. The crowds are almost here. The disciples' eyes then turn from the crowd, stampeding toward them, back to Jesus, And you can feel the tension as the disciples wait for their cue and what does jesus say i'll hear about your missions trip later guys we got more people to heal right and we'll eat after you cast out some demons in my name no listen to our wise and compassionate jesus he said to them come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest (laughs) The one who spoke the world into existence, he dials down the pressing urgency, and he moves from the crowd toward his chosen ones. Let's go. Jesus teaches by example that rest is okay. It's godly. It's okay to be done peopling, turns out. Sometimes we need to get in a boat and row away with Jesus. And that's exactly what they do. They went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. And they're on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. It's about four miles away, about a two-hour trip near a town called Bethesda. Uh, Bethsaida, I pronounced it wrong. And that means fish house, which is way easier to say anyway. Fish house, who doesn't like that? (laughs) The disciples begin uh, rowing toward Fish House, and uh, they have this time then in the boat to unwind. It's just Jesus and the twelve and the waves lapping against the side of the boat. And who hasn't been out on the sea and has enjoyed the peace and the calm and the quiet? And they have the chatter. And they have the recounting of stories of their weeks on the road, their shock and sadness over wicked Herod and the loss of John the Baptist. And they rest again against the side of the boat. And they just listen to the sound of the oars in rhythm with the water and the banter of men who now knew each other better than before, having traveled as Jesus had sent them with no bread, bag, or belt for money, just sandals, simple clothes, and the authority of Jesus. It wasn't a lot of time to rest and regroup, but it would be enough. It would need to be. Because when they had hopped in the boat and rowed away, the crowd didn't just stay there waiting for whenever they might come back. No. When Jesus and the disciples headed out on the water, the crowd pursued on land, Twelve if by sea, 5,000 by land, right? Covering the 10 miles up and around where Jesus launched, 10 miles to Jesus for. Verse 33: Many who saw them leaving recognized them, and they ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. At this point, it's not just Jesus and some obscure unknowns with them. The disciples home from this mission trip—they're recognized. They're actually in their own home area and their own hometowns. Four of the disciples came from that exact area, and the crowds—the crowds—are like a crazy boy band fans now, and they're chasing after them. Can you imagine the scene? As Jesus in his boat and they come closer and closer to the shore, and the water's getting more and more shallow as they prepare to drop an anchor, I suppose Jesus could just turn the boat around, head back out to sea, and keep looking for another quiet spot. Maybe the disciples were hoping he would. They really didn't get much time to sit around with them in that boat. There's a lot more to talk about, but instead, verse 34 when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. What does Jesus see? A crowd, yes. How does he describe them? Like sheep, but not just sheep. Sheep with a shepherd would be in order. They would be grazing calmly, secure. They'd be cared for. But these are wild sheep. They don't have a shepherd. What is this stir in Jesus? Compassion. What language is the New Testament written in originally? There you you made Joe very happy. Good job. The Greek root word translated compassion is a, another fun word to say splingnon. That feels like a Pokemon character, really. Compassion. <laughs> Splanknon. So we, we get our word spleen, wherever that is in my body. We get the word spleen from it because the ancients, both the Hebrews and the Greeks, believed that emotions came from the body parts, the lung and the liver and the heart. We say, you know, our heart goes out to them. Or um, I had a gut wrenching situation, right? This kind of compassion, the spleen Jesus is expressing, is gut level compassion. He saw the crowd, he ached for them to the core of his being. What's the best commentary for understanding the New Testament? The Old Testament. Testament. Good job, ladies. When you read the Old Testament, you see over and over God's people described as sheep without a shepherd. And God's promise over and over to provide a true shepherd that would bring them in and set things right. In Ezekiel 34.10, God says, I'm against the shepherds who hold them accountable for my flock. I will rescue my flock from those shepherds. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. And here now is Jesus. And who is Jesus? Their shepherd. They don't know that yet. They don't see a shepherd. They don't even know their lost sheep. But Jesus sees how lost they are and it moves him. And whenever Jesus was moved with compassion, change comes next. The compassion of Jesus isn't just him passing by and wishing there was something he could do. The compassion of Jesus causes him to go into action every single time I don't know who Jesus is to you, but I pray that this is the Jesus you will see. This is the Jesus that you will know, the Jesus who searches for his sheep and looks after them. Jesus is filled with compassion for you here today as much as if you'd been on the shore in the crowd that day. And maybe you find that hard to believe. Too often we imagine how Jesus would feel toward us based on how we feel about our own selves. Maybe we imagine Jesus feels towards us the way other people have told us who we are. But that's not Jesus. That's not Jesus. Jesus is full of compassion for you because he truly knows you and he loves you still. He's longing for you as a sheep. And he is your shepherd wanting to carefully tend you. And so what does Jesus' compassion move him to do? Think of all the possible things That Jesus could do. I mean, think of yourself in that crowd. And what would you be wanting? Now look at what Mark says. Verse 34. So he began teaching them many things. (laughs) What? I mean, Luke adds that the many things he taught included the kingdom of God. That's what a good shepherd does, though. Teaches. They could be healed, sure. And Matthew and John make note that he did heal but if they're healed and they never learn and accept the kingdom of God what good is that you can go to hell in a healed body what profit is that Jesus mission is to heal their souls his teaching has the words of life at some point the disciples start assessing the situation a big crowd growing bigger Jesus still teaching they're still tired and hungry Their thoughts turn from what is happening to what they want to see happen, and they skip right over what could happen in the name of Jesus. From what is happening to what they see happen, and they skip right over in the name of Jesus. What happens when followers of Jesus prioritize our own agenda over God's? We miss out on ministry. We miss out on watching God do something amazing when our own plans become the priority. What happens next, I'll describe as the disciples having kind of a Captain Obvious moment with the creator of the universe. First, the facts. This is a remote place, they said. And it's already very late. Both true. No new information here. But instead of asking Jesus what to do, they offer their own uninspired solution send the people away so they can buy themselves something to eat that's it that's the plan we're too far away it's too late in the day send the people away and let them figure it out and think about this i mean these are the same 12 disciples who just hours ago were in a boat recounting all the teaching healing and casting out of demons that they had done in jesus name the very same who received supernatural authority and power from jesus christ to perform miracles Was there no room in their mind for a miracle now? Was there no space for them to consider what they could do in Jesus' name now in this remote area? Was there no compassion left for these people? And of course, Jesus knew they were out in the boonies with daylight dwindling. But what we see as a problem, Jesus sees as a possibility. Don't stop ministry. Don't send the sheep away. Instead, verse 37, you give them something to eat. (laughs) The shepherd is asking the disciples to feed the sheep. Can you imagine the disciples looking at each other in shock, trying not to disrespect, but seriously, Jesus. (laughs) They said to him, actually Philip is the one who speaks up, verse 37b that would take more than half a year's wages 200 denarii your bibles might say are 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 we to go to spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat it's hard not to hear sarcasm in that comment john's gospel records that philip adds even if we could buy food there's still so many people They'd each only get a little morsel. So. I mean, he's just being ridiculous. Even if we could buy the food, they're only going to get this much. You kind of picture Mickey Mouse you know, slicing up a kidney bean and you know, handing it out with little transparent pieces of bread. Remember that cartoon? <laughs> Jesus ignores their sarcasm, though. Answer not a fool to his folly, Proverbs says, and the disciples are being foolish. Fatigue is a way of doing that to people, and so does a lack of faith and a failure of godly inspiration. Instead, Jesus presses in. How many loaves do you have? Loaves. How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, actually it was Peter's brother Andrew who found a boy with some food. A good Jewish mom <laughs> sent her son out with a good Jewish sack lunch. And they opened it up. And they said, five loaves and two fish. Jesus only asked about loaves. Hey, we have a bonus, right? The bread would have been enough, but we have something from the land and the sea, a regular surf and turf meal here. Loaves and fish. Jesus looks up from the food to his twelve and, verse 39, Jesus directed them to all have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass, so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Mark uses an interesting word here for groups. Groups. The word, word is prosia. Matthew uses kind of more of a regular military word. But Mark uses this interesting word, prosia, which means they sat like, as if they were rows of vegetables in a garden. (laughs) Did you catch Mark's detail about the grass? They're not sitting in the desert. It might be a remote place, but it's not the desert. Desert doesn't grow grass, not green grass. And it is green, he says. And that means we can kind of think, oh, I know when this would be in Israel. What time of year this would be? Well, it would be spring. Spring. Springtime, that's when you get grass in Israel. And John wrote that this happened when Passover was near. So we know it was definitely spring because Passover is always in the springtime. And this explains why in such a relatively remote area, there were 5,000 men. That's not a generic word for mankind. It actually means males, 5,000 men. You know, God's law required that men, males, travel to Jerusalem every year to celebrate Passover, the feast. And most traveled with their families. It was quite an occasion. Josephus, the uh, Jewish historian, he recorded that over 2 million people would arrive in Jerusalem during Passover in the spring, right? So the crowds this day were heading to Jerusalem to sacrifice their Passover lambs, and they were seeing the Passover lamb in person. They didn't know that yet, but something is going to happen that will help them see Many of these 5,000 men would have been with their wives and their children, and some estimate that this crowd was upwards of 20,000. And here they all are, like rows, 50s and 100s, not unlike this group in here, right? Like rows in a vegetable garden. Finally seated and quiet, their eyes turned to Jesus. Verse 41, "'Taking the loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks, and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people.' And he also divided the two fish among them all. The disciples had warned they wouldn't be able to feed so many. <laughs> they would run out of food if they even tried. Everyone would just get a little tiny bit. <laughs> it was so dramatic. Same disciples who just a moment ago couldn't imagine any outcome except for ministry to end and the people to leave are now literally experiencing creation happen in their hands. This was a massive miracle for the crowd it was a day they'd never forget but I believe this miracle was mostly for the disciples the future shepherds who Jesus would ask again to feed his sheep yes the people in general benefited from it but all people benefit from the kindness of God don't they we call this the common grace of God common grace extends to all even people who are indifferent to Jesus they can experience goodness in this world No one has to become a Christian to wonder at the beauty of a sunrise or sunset or delight in the smell of fresh rain or enjoy a delicious meal. The world today, just like that crowd 2,000 years ago, enjoys the common grace of God. All can taste and see that the Lord is good. And the crowd certainly did. They ate bread, listen. They ate bread from grain that never grew from cursed ground, and fish that never swam in the sea. Jesus just took the barley crackers and the fish the little boy had offered and he lifted it up to heaven, blessed it, broke it, and handed it out. And the hands that formed all of creation brought forth enough bread and fish so that they all ate and were satisfied. Every man, woman, and child on that green grass was filled. No one there saying, No, thank you, I don't eat fish, right? Not for me, I'm gluten-free. No, they all ate. Barley doesn't have any gluten in it, by the way, in case you're wondering. I looked it up, yeah. <laughs> they all ate. They were all satisfied. In fact, the word here is cortazzo. It kind of sounds Italian, like after a big Italian meal, cortazzo, meaning fattened or stuffed, like Thanksgiving Day, elastic waste, tryptophan-induced naptime stuff, right? Don't you think that the same Jesus who created the universe with such precision... That our world is the perfect distance from the sun and at a precise tilt as it rotates. Don't you think that he could have created the precise amount of bread and fish so that each person would be precisely filled without a crumb to spare? Of course. But he made enough that the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. Not three, not seven, but exactly 12 big baskets and we've just finished reading a story about a woman who suffered an issue of blood for 12 years and a 12 year old girl I believe Jesus is making a point to his 12 disciples each disciple who began the day empty handed came away from that meal with their own personal first century doggy bag (laughs) What they experienced Jesus do would have triggered a memory. You know, just like you have a, where have I seen this before moment? The men and the woman and children in that desolate place would have thought of another time that a multitude was fed miraculously in a desolate place by a great prophet. This was not an accident jesus was living out a truth in front of them showing them who he was turning your bibles back four thousand years to deuteronomy chapter 18. god has delivered his people from slavery in egypt they're being led to a desolate land headed toward a land of promise and moses prophesies the lord your god will raise for you a prophet like me from among you from your fellow israelites you must listen to him and as the crowds enjoy the best uncursed bread and uncursed fish that ever existed these sandwiches as they're snacking away the lights I'm sure start going on John makes note of that in chapter 6 of his account he says surely this is the prophet who has come into the world the prophet this means they were making the connection with the prophecy of Moses that he had given about a prophet who God would raise up right Wouldn't this then be a great moment, I mean, Jesus, come on, to rise up in front of them all, that's me, I'm the guy. Why not embrace the moment? Why not affirm what they're saying right now? But just like Jesus knew when it was time to stay and feed the people, he knew when it was time to go away. It's always about being on God's timeline and God's mission. What were the first words Of Jesus recorded in the Bible. Do you recall? Why do you seek me? He said as a 12 year old to his parents. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business. And here he is continuing to do exactly that. Jesus knew the crowd would try to take him by force and make him their king today. Herod was a brutal and murderous king. They wanted to overthrow him and make this man who could heal and make food, Jesus, the king of a social welfare state. I mean, with free meals and no need for health care, who wouldn't? Let's make him king. And one day every knee will bow and Jesus, and Jesus will be the king of all kings But that's not this day, and it's not by a force of a crowd. Instead, Jesus sends his disciples off in their boat while he slips away to the hills for some quiet time. As night falls, the wind kicks up. The disciples struggle and row back across that lake. And what happens next is an account I'm sure you all know about. Jesus sees them in the dark, straining against the wind, so he walks on the water across the lake, and he tells them, do not be afraid. Jesus steps back in the boat. The wind immediately dies down. The disciples are in the same boat that they began with, all with the miracles now behind them and this amazing day. Mark has one point to make. Mark has one point to make about all that took place. And Jesus walking on water and Peter sinking and getting back up and in, in the, the whole thing one thing mark says verse 52 they were completely amazed dumbfounded flabbergasted blown out of their mind the word here literally means they were having like an existential moment trying to grasp it all but listen they had not understood about the loaves why the hearts were hardened their hearts were hardened the disciples who had returned from teaching, healing, and casting out demons in Jesus' name at hard hearts? What? Sure they did. <laughs> Anyone doing the Lord's work could have a hardened heart if ministry misses the point. The disciples have missed the point. It wasn't about the one boy and how we should all be generous like him. Five loaves and two fish and how Jesus will use what little we have and multiply it or 12 disciples, and how we can share what God provides and still have more to give. It's not that those points aren't true. We should be generous. We can trust Jesus with what little we offer. God will provide, God will multiply, and we will always have enough in Jesus' name. But that is not the point. (laughs) But don't we all just want to know that in spite of all that we're dealing with? In spite of what little we feel like we have to offer, how inadequate we feel, it isn't inspiring to know that God could use us. Don't we want to hang on to that as the main point? But like the, like the disciples laying out their, their points to Jesus about the big crowd and the small resources, also true, they were missing the actual point. All right, you have your key still? What's the key to unlocking true joy and fulfillment? It's the most important question you can ask while you're reading the Bible, and it will always help you bring you to the point. What does this tell me about who Jesus is? That's the point. We must not remain like disciples in the boat, amazed but missing the point of the loaves. They would get it eventually i hope you get it today what will happen there had to have been a moment what will happen that cause the disciples to get it it will happen when they see the resurrected jesus they'll remember his body was the bread broken at passover for them his blood the Passover lamb, their shepherd, who takes away the sins of the world. And we can remember it now. We're going to have time for communion in a moment as you take the bread and as you drink the cup. Remember him today. Ask God to answer. What does this tell me about who Jesus is? That's the point. Please stand and pray together with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us.